This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm John Champion, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time, over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcast.roddenberry.com for you to choose from science, feminism, even daily news, and all stops in between. Boldly go and find us. When you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcast.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Koto, and welcome to another episode of Half Measures. Each week, we watch a bunch of TV shows and movies, and we recommend some of them to you, and some of them we don't. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the pride of the Hawks Bay, Dan Whiting. Dan, Half Measures turned one year old this week. There wasn't a parade, but we did have cake at least. Kia Paul. Yeah, one year old. Who would believe it from, uh, you know, what a journey we've been on, 40 two episodes the evolution of the show we've got all these new features all these new listeners from around the world i can't wait to see what another year has in store for us i didn't expect words like journey and evolution it's a uh, it's incredible but it uh it ha- yeah you certainly have but it has been it's been a great year and um we've had a we've had a few messages of support on this uh, this one year anniversary as well which i'll get to when we do the mailbag later Amazing, amazing. And we're also coming up to uh, Christmas, Paul. It's uh, just a few weeks away. Do we get time off over Christmas or do we? are we still committed to a show a week? What's the contract say? Well, according to our podcast law, uh, L-O-R-E, as we like to always say, there's no time off. We are required by union standards to produce one episode per week that comes out 4 p.m. Fridays, New Zealand time. Okay. Get around it. Makes sense. And we still get paid, so everyone wins. That's right. That's right. You know, if you're looking for something to give a loved one this Christmas, maybe you could give them a, um, a Patreon subscription to Half Measures. You know, unlimited goodness for the whole family. Can you imagine someone's face if they found that in the Christmas stocking? That would be amazing. Like, wait, wait. What do I actually get as part of this Patreon? I get my name read out on a podcast. Special thanks, Trisha Brady and Samara King, uh, producers of the show. That also could be your loved ones. Just think about that. Think about World that. famous in New Zealand. Uh, I think we'll get the social media manager to run an ad for that on on social media and just you know see see how many takers we get. Sounds like a sounds like a, a no brainer for me. Dan Whiting, can you tell me please what have you been watching this week? All right, Paul. All right, so. I'm a little bit of a pork and this week in the sense that I haven't necessarily watched a lot, uh, but I have finished off uh, Shameless Season 10, which I talked about a little bit last week, 
And I've also finished off um, all of Broad City, which I've also been talking about for the last few weeks. Uh, I'm not going to go into any more detail on those. I've started one new TV show, and I've also watched a little bit more Star Trek Discovery. But before I get into that, I'll talk about the new show that I've been watching. So I'm not sure how this came about, but we were thinking, let's put something on. We weren't quite ready for an episode of Discovery. And something on our backlog, which has been there for quite a while, is actually quite an old TV show from 2001. It's currently on Neon in New Zealand, Six Feet Under. So this is one of those shows from what I from what I understand it's in the category of, you know, the it's, it's an HBO show, so The Wire, Sopranos. Okay, it's meant to be a really top tier TV show. Um, it's got some you know, Michael C. Hall stars in it. It's meant to be um, quite a bit of dark humor. People who watch this show rave about it to me all the mm-hmm. time. So we've jumped in. We've watched a couple of episodes. So far, intrigued would be the word I would use. I'm, a, I'm about three episodes in. Right. The one thing I'm struggling with is it's in old school um, format, the 4 by 3 format. Oh. And so it, it kind of just bothers me that I'm, I've got all this like unused real estate on my TV. Yeah, oh, look, that really is something that I've come to notice watching because I watch an episode of Star Trek each week for the, the Mission Log podcast that they do. And so I watch along one episode a week. And it, as soon as it starts playing, you just look at the TV screen. So this is 2001. So, yeah, that makes sense. It would have still been, I guess, around that time. Goodness me. And saying that, once you know, once you know, the TV show, like, to be honest, it's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty promising. The story's interesting. The The basic premise of the show is it's about a, a family that um, runs a funeral home and just kind of the, the the quirkiness of growing up in the funeral home business and the different traits that different family members have. It, I think we're definitely going to watch some more of it. I'm hoping that maybe someone might be able to tell me. It, it might even go to full screen at some point in one of the seasons. I think there is only about five seasons, I believe. So, But, yeah, so far, so good. We'll probably keep talking about that for a few episodes to come. Intriguing. I mean, I've heard a lot of people rave about this as well. It's interesting, eh, the number of shows that people rave about and that you just never got around to to watching for, you know, for, for different reasons. A chronicle of the lives of a dysfunctional family who run an independent funeral home in Los Angeles. See, nothing about that really appeals to me. And that's always a great sign because when we talk about shows that never sound like they appeal to me, Breaking Bad is, you know, is the classic example. There's another one today I'm going to talk about and it's another winner. It's it's incredible. So uh, I've just pressed add to watch list as well and I'll wait for your review. Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a big Michael C. Hall fan from Dexter. And one of the reasons I haven't watched this show sooner is it was always quite hard to find in New Zealand. Like it wasn't on any platforms that were easily accessible. But I guess this is one of the, the great things with the, the streaming times that we live in. Um, just being able to jump into a, a slightly older but still top quality TV show like Six Feet Under. Okay, so sorry, I've just realised who he is. Sorry, Michael C. Hall is actually... Dexter, the guy, the main guy, Dexter. Okay, I'm with you. Sorry, I'm a bit slow on the update, Dan. It's Christmas, you know, everyone needs a break. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, not probably not too much more I can say about that. I'm probably too fresh in. But I have, you should be proud of me for this, Paul. We've watched a few episodes of Star Trek Discovery. So rather than coming at you with just one episode this week, 
I've got I've got five episodes to talk to you about. Nice. So yeah, so the last episode we just watched uh, was called Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. And this is basically where there's a a party on Discovery and everyone's sort of stuck in a, a time loop. Um, and it, it sort of felt like, you know, even though I'm not a deep in the, the Star, Star Trek universe, it felt like a classic Star Trek episode where there's kind of this fun little story that's um, – mostly confined to the episode there's a few sort of like um crossover characters but all in all you know there's a a big problem to solve there's some great um crew relationship building moments and i really feel like this this show's hitting good places this you're in you're in peak discovery for me this this magic to make the sanest man go mad remains to this day i think one of my top three episodes so far from the whole show. I really, really enjoyed this episode. I've, I've probably watched this episode more than most um, any episode of Star Trek that, and they, uh, that has the Bee Gees playing um, and has a disco on a ship that, which is, you know, nicknamed Disco, short for Discovery. Um, amazing. And of course, Rain Wilson, better known, of course, to us as, as, as Dwight Schrute. What a what a great performance! He's coming in and he's playing Harry Mudd, who was a character who showed up a couple of times in the original series. So um, it's uh, it's pretty cool to have him playing that character. He's uh, he's great value. I think uh, Rain Wilson and um, oh god, John Krenisky. Um, I, I cannot see them as anyone but Dwight and Jim. And and I'm definitely it's Dwight, it's Jim, and so. Uh, they're, they're, I'm too embedded in the office to not think of them as those characters. But speaking of, um, I, I guess I want to call him Dwight because it's just it's who I know him as, one of those episodes I watched was one called Choose Your Pain. Mm. And so this is where our captain of uh, Discovery was captured aboard a, a Klingon ship. And one thing which I guess has really surprised and delighted me with Star Trek, and I imagine this might be controversial, is it's quite violent, and I quite like it. Yeah, it's it's definitely more so than any other Star Trek series before it. I would say the closest we came to this level would be would be Enterprise. It has been potentially not succeeded in terms of violence, but Picard takes it takes it at a different level as well but um yeah it's it's a proper it's a proper adult star trek tv show none of the star trek prior to this i think in like 700 episodes you could count the number of swear words on one hand whereas discovery and picard both go by too far and you're at the gate and so all of those things are much more ramped up so it's 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 been criticized because it's not the sort of show you can necessarily enjoy with it with kids as a family as as, as many generations have done but do you know what that's fine with me i can wait <laughs> i'm enjoying it like this mm-hmm. and i i think too like particularly with um with captain Lorca, i think just you know being in a cell getting into uh physical altercations and fights using their assault rifle phaser guns kind of just annihilating Klingons like it's it's all go it's it's all happening and it's it really sort of hooks you into that that wider story and universe 
And so uh, you would have also seen the episode where we have the new addition to the crew, Lieutenant Ash Tyler as well. Um, any early thoughts on him yet? Uh, I guess to be honest with you, I felt like I didn't trust him at first, but he's very much grown on me with the last episode we've watched of um, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, only because it kind of seemed a bit all too set up for me that he was a, 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 a good guy who was also um, captured by the Klingons, but no, it seems good. I also feel like I'm a big Captain Lorca fan, and I feel like I shouldn't be for some reason. Um, just for some of the, I, for some reason, I, I don't admit, like I've, I've seen no other pictures of him recently. He's definitely got some, I think some dark things going on. He's got his weird space eyes. Um, but I quite like, I, I quite like his character. Um, but I imagine I'm going to be in for some crew changes. Um, I'll tell you the one thing that does bother me. Mm-hmm. is why doesn't Michael Burnham have a Starfleet emblem on a uniform? And I know before you kind of like, <laughs> you know, take me to Star Trek school that she's basically like just on the ship helping out as a Padawan, as an assistant, as a you're not officially part of it. But I really want her to get her badge back. Why are you asking me these stupid questions if you're going to ask them yourself, answer them yourself with with, with exactly the right answer? You don't need to go to school. You know the answer. It's right in front of you. Uh, that is the answer, and that is how it stays for now. And I, I'm not going to comment on that or Lorca or any of the things you've brought up because I want you to enjoy it as it happens. But as I said, peak discovery, and I think one of the reasons I'm thinking that is because I still watch Discovery each week, and you may notice when we do this podcast, I only talk about it every once in a while, and that's because after a really, really strong start to this season, the quality this season for me has, by and large, dipped, and it's a little disappointing because this is one of my favorite shows. It's still great, don't get me wrong, but just hearing you talk about season one, and I'm just looking at some of those episodes and thinking, you're you're in the sweet spot, season one and two. You saying that to me, Paul, makes me feel like I'm Saru and my little um, space um, tentacles are coming out of the back of my head. You're making me nervous. So. What a geek. What a geek this guy is. I love it. If I was a real geek, I'd know the name of them, but half measures. But no, look, it's a, it's a good time. It was actually good to sit down and watch um, a few episodes in a row and really get deep into the story. Um, starting to get a really good sense for these different characters. I am... Uh, I am nervous, as I say, for um, Lorca and what his story is going to be. And uh, this is something I've, I've complained about many times on the pod, and no one's really addressed it. Is I uh, one of those title cards started playing for us oh, the other day, no. and it, it kind of it ruined a character who died really on, and we're like, oh, she's obviously back. Um, so I, I, I don't know why. For example, in the, the Netflix algorithm isn't smart enough to know if you've started watching a show, yeah. don't play ABC. Like that, that feels like a pretty, I imagine from a coding point of view, it's difficult. But from a, a user experience point of view, come on, Netflix, sort it out. Exactly. As a coder, I can tell you that, that that's pretty easy to do. But uh, as a human being, does, does, does no one else at Netflix sit down at home and watch Netflix? Like, does no one else sit there and actually go, oh, that's annoying. Maybe I should tell the guys that do the thing to stop doing the thing so that no one else is experiencing what I just experienced. It's it's ridiculous. 
I, I think it's one of those like we're getting we're really getting geeky into sort of user experience and design, but I think it is one of those. It's a, a you're you're really ruining the experience and taking away that moment of joy when you're exposing something that that's quite critical to a story. Obviously, that the key to this is to never let those um, credits play or never just leave it hovering. Which I know that um, you've got around by using your Chromecast, but mm-hmm. it is a it is a bit of a hassle. No, it is indeed. Who would have thought we'd be on this podcast talking about such fluffy things as user experience? Incredible. Don't know what that is. All right. <laughs> as you can tell from the Half Mishes website. Mm-hmm. So um, that is probably about me. So finished Shameless, finished Broad City, started Six Feet Under, still making our way through season one of Discovery. I've kind of been intentionally dragging my feet to be honest a little bit with discovery and even some other new shows because i'm trying to kind of build up a bit of a backlog of things to watch over the over the christmas break and so i'm looking forward to being able to sort of sit down and obviously get quite a bit quite a bit deeper into shows like discovery or i know there's a new season of big mouth that's just come out so mm-hmm. things like that will be a fun watch what about yourself paul what have you been into uh so Dan, you watched Wayne recently. Um, I said last week I started watching it. Uh, and obviously you reviewed this one a, a few weeks ago. But just to quickly summarize for anyone who hasn't heard before, so this is a show about Wayne, a 16-year-old Dirty Harry with a hat of gold. And he sets off on a on a little two-stroke bike from Boston to Florida with his new friend Del. And uh, he and her are looking to get his 1979 Trans Am back that was stolen from his father just before he died. So this is such an out-of-the-blue show for me. To be honest, I don't think I would have ever have clicked play on this. Nothing about the poster or the the plot, the synopsis, really appealed to me on paper. Um, when you look at the IMDb parental guidance page, profanity, severe, violence and gore, severe, smoking, drugs and alcohol, severe. And I was like, is this really the comedy I need? But I'll tell you what, that is where the value of half measures come in because that's a podcast, right? That reviews TV shows, something that no one else has ever done in the world before. And because of your recommendation, you got me to sit down and press play on this thing. And then I have to say of all the recommendations that I've given a go from you this year, this has to be the best one you've given me yet. This, this is incredible. I love it. I think that's probably because you haven't watched Cobra Kai yet, but it is well up there with that. And I think, I'm sorry, just choking uh, midway on my words. Um, as I think, it's I'm really proud of my efforts of getting. I feel like I've probably got at least five or six people who I know to watch this show, and you know, obviously there's millions of people that listen to this podcast who are no doubt now watching it. Mm. So I think hopefully that's sort of getting the the movement towards a, a second season. But I think one of the things that's really special about Wayne is. It is all of these kind of dark things. There's all of these things which are kind of quite horrible and mm-hmm. um, not great. But you, well, I don't know, I, I felt like I fell in love with those characters. And I really cheered for so many of them. And I want to see more of them. I want to see where their story goes. And I think that's one of the things that makes the show so special. You took the words right out of my mouth. I, and you're absolutely right. And I have to start with the two leads the two main leads, because they're both terrific. So Matt McKenna as Wayne is just absolute dynamite. And the way he plays that role is amazing. Like with the exception of anger, he pretty much plays his role with nearly all of his emotions and his facial expressions dialed right down to zero. 
and he's got all kinds of social issues going on and he does it so well um and and uh what's her name chiara chiara Ciara bravo as dell for me she's even more impressive because she gets so many great lines and situations to deal with she's she's really talented i'd say she's got a, a great future but her together with wayne on this motorbike and this road trip their boston accent that thing that boston accent is a thing to behold i mean i love the new york accent but this boston one it's it's maybe even more enjoyable when they're saying florida and it's coming out florida flat flatter I, I I can't do it justice. I'm not going to try. It's 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 just just great. So um yeah, the things that are going on in this story, it it dances that line of comedy really, um you know really in a really really close to the wire. Just like we've seen with Afterlife, just like we've seen with Breeders, those comedies that are just playing with different emotions at the same time. Because there's some real brutal scenes in this, but it's just so so watchable. I think you're right. I think the the Boston accent really makes it. And I think what I really like the most about Wayne is how, you know, right or wrong, he's out for the little guy. He's out for the underdog. Mm. And he hates to see anyone um, who's who's been wrong done by. And I think the way that the the cinematography and the I think his acting Mark McKenna's acting ability just brings it all together into this like great package with some great music and you kind of find yourself cheering at the screen when you know that Wayne's going for Wayne yeah oh for Wayne is something to behold it's it's I I'd sort of take a step back because it's just like it's it gets you think you're just going to get hit it's amazing uh the guy um what's his name Francesco Antonio who plays uh plays reggie so reggie. yeah reggie so this is the guy with the gold teeth um and i mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago after you'd reviewed it that he had retweeted our, our review of the show and now having seen him play this hilarious character it's now even more meaningful the, the thought of reggie retweeting half measures is is hilarious great great actor great great just you know it's one of those people that you would not want to know or meet in real life but on screen immaculate Oh, look, definitely. And I think all those little um, quirky moments, like his, his pet alligator and um, just, just just those little, like, outrageous, outrageous moments. Um, even all the other characters, like, obviously, the uh, the, the father and, and the two brothers, so many, like, laugh out loud um, lines. We've got the – I actually really in, enjoyed the the cops as well. So yes. um, Sergeant Stephen Geller and Officer Jay Janetti, uh, like – just so much fun and they just keep growing and growing and growing just kind of building on those characters subtly throughout the whole 10 episodes and by the end you're just like i love everyone yeah it's really hard to, to to sort of um miss anyone out when you're talking about these characters but i do have to say dean winters playing dell's father just immaculate i mean it's just it's just the little things i'm laughing at things way too much i don't think i should be laughing at so much but i just feel like when you when you put a, a really great writer with someone who does great comedy together, it's just the absolute the absolute best. Michael Malley, who plays the the school principal, absolutely hilarious as well. And I do have to just give a little shout out to the the two twins, John Champagne and Jamie Champagne, who play. Dell's twin brothers. Honestly, I could watch a whole spin-off show just about them. And then, as you said, um, the sergeant, played by Stephen Curran, who spent some time in that Tyranese prison and has learned how to fight to the death. <laughs> I feel like I have to stop because I feel like I'm tipping my hat to the whole cast. But 
that's that's what I mean. That that there's you know how you jump from story or not story from from scene to scene, and you, you sort of following these different. There's never like a a filler story or a dull story. They're all they're all so watchable. It's amazing. I think what makes me um, a little bit sad is that obviously this this TV show started its life on YouTube, uh, YouTube Red, I believe, which was the 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 paid version into YouTube. And so I feel like it obviously it probably got a, a little bit of action there. Um, and now that it's finally um, made it onto a more mainstream platform like Amazon Prime Video, but it's actually a, it's a 2019 series, so it's not going to unfortunately be able to feature in any you know maybe top twin top ten TV shows of 2020. But I think it deserves so many accolades. And I think what it makes me wonder is how many other shows are actually kind of out there like this that are kind of these hidden mm. gems that kind of actually um, were maybe the wrong platform or came out at the wrong time that are actually top-tier TV. No, absolutely right. It's always finding those little hidden gems, which are, are just great. I, I don't know what YouTube read or whatever it's called was were thinking letting this show go. I, I just don't know. But um, I can't wait. There has to be a season two, Dan. There has to be. Well, I think there is because they had Cobra Kai as well, and so they've just they've moved away from streaming oh, this yeah. type of content. So it's it's um I think obviously there's just these these better platforms out there for it. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like I could talk about this show for ages, and I should probably move on. And um, the other show I wanted to talk about um of a very similar vein. So I was flicking through Amazon Prime, as you do, and I saw there was a remake of Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons. Now, I didn't feel like watching a remake of Captain Scarlet, but it did make me want to go back and revisit the original. So that's exactly what I did. So I went back and I watched myself a bunch of original 1967 episodes of Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons, and it was awesome. So if anyone is not as old as we are, or maybe I should just speak for myself, but this is a creator, uh, sorry, a creation from a guy called Jerry Anderson and Sylvia Anderson. And these are the people that brought us more famously, perhaps Thunderbirds, but also other shows like Joe 90, Stingray, Fireball XL5. All of those shows had a similar vibe or, or, or approach or you know, similar sort of vibe. But I think this is probably my favorite of all these shows. And I watched it a lot as a kid uh, when they were rerunning the series on telly in the eighties. And um, so just to really briefly bring the synopsis up captain scarlet uh it's set in the year 2068 a newly formed international intelligence organization called spectrum discover an alien race called the mysterons a misunderstanding provokes the mysterons they declare war they make threats to kill world leaders and destroy cities and then they use what the mysterons call the ability of retro metabolism which simply put means they can create an exact duplicate of anyone and so the one thing I haven't mentioned for anyone who doesn't know, which is really quite crucial, is just like Thunderbirds and uh, and Stingray, this is all done with, with with puppets and props and sets and miniature recreations, and it's just it's just iconic. It's just it's absolutely brilliant. Have you have you watched much uh, Captain Scarlet then? No, but I've watched a lot of Thunderbirds uh, when I was young. Uh, obviously, it was probably reruns back then as well, and I obviously I've sort of very similar sort of vibe and I was just thinking as you, as you were talking about this like the attention to detail on these shows is absolutely incredible and it feels like so much effort to make a a TV show with these little puppets with costumes and sets and obviously doing puppet type things it's it really is uh 
a work of love, isn't it? It, it really is. Uh, that attention to detail. And of course, you know, the fact that it was all filmed in 1967, I have absolutely nothing but respect for, for all of it. Um, it's, the, the music is iconic. The, there's the, that terrifying voice of the Mr. Ons with these lights that appear on everyone's face when they're talking. Um, the ingenuity of how they filmed it and the creativity to get all those different shots. There was this one episode I was watching where they had a vehicle speeding along the road trying to get get to an atomic device that was going to destroy all of London. And the camera angles that they got out of these vehicles trying to overtake on a road, bearing in mind it's all small models, it's it was just absolutely crazy. And it's 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 so much fun with some really over the top voice acting. But um, look, a really creative guy, Jerry Anderson, and you know just so much of his stuff I've loved over the years. Not just the early stuff, but even just all the later stuff as well. Terror Hawks. Um, oh yeah. Space precincts, uh, maybe not as successful, but you know some of these—they're all really memorable for different reasons. So, uh, so yeah, I might watch a few more Miss uh, Captain Scarlet and the Mistrons because I've uh, been having a great time revisiting that show. Um, and that's what else have I made a note of? Oh yeah, so I made—I've been continuing my rewatch of Better Call Saul. Um, that's been great, honestly. I think this, uh, in terms of the solo rewatches I've done myself. This Breaking Bad Bellicle Saw rewatch is the most enjoyable I've ever done, I swear. You're going to hear about this a lot, so um, I'll leave it there for this week. But um, the other thing I've been watching is The Crown. Um, and so we're a few episodes into this season four of The Crown, so I won't give my review yet, but maybe next week. But what I will say just really quickly is that the casting has really impressed me with this season. So the three leading ladies that they have playing Princess Diana, Margaret Thatcher, and of course the, the Queen herself played by one of my favourite actresses, Olivia Colman. It's just absolutely superb. And the royal families themselves aren't coming off all that likeable so far in the season. So yeah, I'll keep watching that one and do a bit of a deeper dive next week maybe. Awesome. I've Every time I see the trailer for The Crown, it makes me feel like I need to be watching this TV show. Mm. Uh, it, it looks good. Yeah, no, definitely. So, uh, so, yeah, so that's me this week, Dan. Shall we talk about a show that I'm pretty sure you and I would have both watched in the last seven days, Star Wars The Mandalorian? Never heard of it. Chapter 14, The Tragedy. Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? That, 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 that was all I could think of when I saw that episode title come off, come up. I was, I was like, that, that's all I can think of is, is well, that story. There is quite a few fan theories about the um, the tragedy of Darth Plagueis actually playing out in this. So, um, watch the space, I think. But holy moly, Paul! Every week. I don't know how these episodes are getting better and better. So much so that when I put on this episode this week and I saw that it was 32 minutes long, I thought to myself, oh, it's a bit of a shame. Oh, well, we've had a lot of great episodes. This is probably just going to be moving us forward. And holy mother of God, this is one of the like, – I don't know how you top the Ahsoka episode. Yeah, But this correct. is – this is up there, and I feel like we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I look, within the first couple of minutes, you've got Slave One flying across your TV screen, which we haven't seen, and I'm going to get in trouble here, but chronologically, I don't think we've seen since Empire Strikes Back. So obviously, he must have, Boba Fett must have packed this somewhere for Return of the Jedi, but seeing that was just, that was just I was just transfixed. I was just staring at the screen, not able to move almost. 
As soon as I saw, even when you just said to me, Slave 1 going across the screen, I got the same butterflies in my stomach of, like, pure joy and excitement. I've just seen that, like, kind of, like, you know, make that sort of space sound, which I'm not going to try and replicate on the microphone because I'll do a terrible job of it. But it was just so great. And it was funny because I actually um, – watched the episode alone the first time and then I watched it the next day with Samara and then when she saw the, the spaceship Slave 1, she didn't know really what Slave 1 was and I'm like are you excited? Like ah! And she's just like what what for the ship? Who's in it? And I'm like it's Slave 1! You know? It's Boba Fett's ship! But you know that level of fandom doesn't obviously translate to every single person that's watching The Mandalorian but I know for you know, particularly you and I, Paul, it was a, a special, special moment. It really was. And then, of course, the, the ship lands and we can see through Mando's uh, vision, heat vision, whatever, we can see a cloaked figure getting out of the ship. And at this point, I'm like, we, we know Bob Fett's alive. We saw him in the in the seasons that in the first episode. But has someone taken his ship? Is this is this the Jedi that's come to to see Grogu? Uh, what's going on? Oh, that no, must be Boba Fett. Uh, it must be. And then it is. And before long, he's got the armor on. And did you notice the camera work when when Boba Fett is shooting? How they had that iconic pose of his when he's when he's taking shots, just like he's done in the past. I mean, I don't know. It's too good. Did you did you see who directed this episode though? one of my favorites so robert rodriguez so he's directed so many things that i've really appreciated that the el mariachi um trilogy the planet terror this whole bunch of shows uh sorry films and just it was just brilliant i think we just said we uh, there's so many great moments isn't there and i feel like i think we need to just sort of like go through them in a little bit of detail like obviously uh, with Grogu um, sitting on the stone, and then you know trying to do what he has to do, and then eventually when the when he goes into that full meditative state, and he goes into like a yoga pose with his little fingers like pinched together, was the most adorable thing I've ever seen. I love that. Actually, even before that, um, when the Mandalorian was basically like, "We're going to have to go to the rest of the way with the windows down," and they're just like blazing through, yeah, you know, guy with the jetpack. Incredible. It was a great scene. I, I have many questions. Uh, I, so when he's on that stone and he's trying to connect with the with the force, my pick of who he's going to connect with then is Ezra Bridger. But I'd like to throw this over to you because I know you have a few theories and I know you have uh, some 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 thoughts and feelings about who Grogo might have connected with through the force. So um, what do you what do you reckon? I think that there's several options, I think, of who he could connect with. And I think as a – thinking about what, what Jedis are around at this time, so thinking that uh, the Mandalorians set basically a roughly five-ish years after Return of the Jedi and there's mm. roughly 30 years between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, we know that we're basically in the, the early days of the – the Luke Skywalker school of Jedi's who can't read good. And so I think these are my options for what Jedi he could be reaching out to. So it's obviously not going to be Ahsoka because we've just seen Ahsoka and Ahsoka's like, I'm not going to train him. I'm not interested in taking on any employees at this point. So (laughs) she's, you know, though I'd love to see more of her, I think that she's more of a, a character that we could see linked back with um, 
Oh, God, her name escapes me. Who's that Starbuck character? Uh, Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan, mm-hmm. uh, potentially. But more likely, you know, I think we're, we're definitely heading towards some type of Ahsoka standalone TV show um, and potentially the type of character who could easily cross in and out of the Mandalorian, much like they do with a lot of the, the DC TV shows. Mm-hmm. So I think, for me, there's probably three potential Jedi that uh, Grogu could be could be connecting with. One of them could be Ezra from uh, Star Wars Rebels uh, because Ezra, though not widely probably known to um, the more everyday Star Wars fan, has actually got a pretty heavy story linkage with Thrawn, who's already been mentioned in the TV show. Mm. Um, he's also known to Ahsoka, and he's got a he's a you know a fairly young character still, you know, probably in his twenties at that point. Um, so it could be a could be at the right age to potentially take on a, a Padawan. I think another option could be Cal from um, Fallen Order. Nice. Um, so I think the interesting thing about Cal is we've obviously already got a, a, a real-life actor who plays Cal in The Fallen Order. And, again, he's another character that's kind of alive at this time but could be a great way to kind of segue in a game universe that has been built with their actual live action. Or the the wild card, not really the wild card, the one who we've we've talked about previously but it seems so out of reach is has he connected with Luke Skywalker? Because Luke is out there searching for Jedi for his school, searching for Force-sensitive beings. Now, last week we talked about, you know, who who could play Luke and what would that look like? And is it is it too much of an ask to even bring in such a big character like Luke Skywalker? But the more and more I think about this, and I've been thinking about it a lot, Paul, is mm. I don't think you would have to reveal Luke Skywalker as a as an actor as a person in this in this season, but you could have a Luke Skywalker, and I'm thinking Return of the Jedi. Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. is in his full black clothes. He's got his uh, Luke Skywalker, you know, highly recognizable Return of the Jedi lightsaber hanging off his hip, um, and you just kind of see this Jedi enter, and you might just sort of see like sort of a, a waist down, and that's the person who might might come for Grogu. But just the idea that they would be thinking about bringing in Luke Skywalker into the Mandalorian TV show at season two is mind-blowing stuff. Now, obviously, I'm just like talking nonstop and I'm not giving you a chance to say anything. It could be a whole nother Jedi who I'm not even thinking of or it could even be a Sith for all I know. But I just think these, this is an exciting time to be alive. This, this is so great. I, where do I start with what you've just said? Um, so anyone who's ever watched uh, Back to the Future, if if you could imagine uh, what Doc Brown looks like when he's talking and he's going crazy with theories and Maddie's looking at him like, dude, you're, you're insane. That is exactly what I've just been facing with Dan. He's got pieces of paper in his hand. He's flicking through things. He's got his hands in the air. He's all over the place. Um, and I love the way you described Luke Skywalker. He's got his Luke Skywalker Return of the Jedi lightsaber. Like, you know, that's how he introduces people. Have you seen my Luke Skywalker Return of the Jedi? Have you seen my lightsaber? It's so, so Return of the Jedi. <laughs> it really is. Um, look, there's a lot of things in there. If it's Luke Skywalker, 
I will sing on this podcast. That's my promise to you. It's, that's that's crazy talk because that's that's the ultimate for it to be Luke. I don't think they can go that big. That that would be incredible. Uh, Cal from Fallen Order, the video game. Not many people would have would have heard of him. That would be a brave choice. I, I would love that. I, I love things coming together, canon wise. I've talked about that before. Uh, I agree with you. It wouldn't be Ahsoka. And yeah, Ezra Bridger. That's that is my my feeling for who we're going to get. We've already had Ahsoka show up from, you know, the end of rebels. Now I'm thinking, okay, I was going to join her. It makes sense. But, uh, there's, there's so many great theories in there. I love it. The other theory, which I think we talked about off air, where you sort of said how this, this planet is connected to the force rather than it being a Jedi sort of connect. It's a, it could well be a, a Sith. Um, unless you said that in that ramble and I missed it. <laughs> Yeah the, yeah, the idea of it being a, a Sith connection, um, that would be... Because, you know, when we saw him on that ship and Moff Gideon's, you know, being all, hey, you're getting all sleepy, dude, and all the rest of it as he's force-choking people, um, he's showing some signs for the dark side very, very clearly. I think you're right. I think that's another interesting thing to, to talk about, right? So it could be a Sith. The reason I think it probably isn't is we've already kind of got our, our big bad already kind of set up which is the empire and we've got moff gideon and we've kind of got these uh snoke-ish type clones we're potentially you know whether that's connected to um the um cloning of the emperor like there's all sorts of i think that there's enough big bats without introducing potentially another sith unless you brought in some type of like sith hunters or something the reason I'm becoming more confident with the Luke Skywalker angle is I think it's another way that connects this whole universe together. And I think one of the, not mysteries, but one of the things from The Force Awakens, obviously, with um, Luke all of a sudden just kind of disappearing and, and heading to live as, as a hermit. And obviously, we got a little bit of context about why that happened throughout the, the three latest movies. But I actually think there's a whole bunch of other contexts that could actually build around that. And I think the stuff that they're doing now is actually going to make those movies better because they're actually giving us more and more context to origins of um origins of snoke why luke decided to do what he did why the school didn't work out you know because the other person running around right now is a young ben solo it could even be like princess leia like and i know that i don't think they're gonna i I don't think you can bring in uh princess leia i definitely don't want to see another digital version of her but there is a whole bunch of fascinating characters who are kind of out in the universe right now even a young ray they're out there I'm not going to go there, but I just want to quickly check in that you're not slagging off what digital Princess Leia and digital Grand Moff Tarkin look like in the Rogue One. We'll talk about that another time. But uh, I love your thinking. I love the passion. I feel like you could work for the Lucasfilm uh, story group, you know, that sort of maintain all of the, the canon styles. I think there's some great things in there you've talked about. Um, I, want, I actually want to talk about something else. I want to talk about Boba Fett. I want to talk about Tim Morrison. I, I, I certainly don't pretend to speak you know, for all New Zealanders, obviously, but I do, I don't know about you, but I felt this, I felt like this surge of pride and real happiness just to see Tim Morrison back playing a character in, in Star Wars and, and having seen him play Django in, uh, you know, the, the Clone Wars and do it so well. And then to see him come back in and, and play his own genetically modified son, uh, Boba Fett, as a, as a, as a grown-up, battle scared salak escaped boba and still busting out lines like 
I'm just a simple man trying to find my way in the universe, just like his father Django. I really appreciated that. I thought it was great. And his scenes where he's fighting, I don't know if that's a stunt double, but for what I could tell, it wasn't. It was him. I thought he was on fire. I thought he looked absolutely amazing. There was elements of once for warriors coming through. It was superb. What did you think? I think that, so again, if you've watched uh, any uh, Rebels, you know a bit more about that, that Boba Fett is a, is a real badass. But I think from a, a pure movie point of view, it's always been implied that Boba Fett is a badass, but we've never actually seen it because all we've kind of seen him do is kind of stand there staunchly and then get eaten in the Salak pit. Whereas what we saw here is that, is, I'm with you, Paul, a real badass moment. And I think, you know, we're talking about violence on Star Trek, I don't think I've ever seen the level of violence that Boba Fett brought uh, to the screen this week in any Star Wars that I've ever seen. He was going so hard with his Gaddafi um, Tusken Raider pole. He was like, you know, Luke at the Jedi Temple, sorry, not Luke, uh, Anakin at the Jedi Temple killing Padawans. Like he was just, he was going 110%. And the way that they filmed all of those scenes, they – they had um, Tim basically just wrecking people and hitting them so hard. Their armor is bursting apart. It was just I felt the pain, and it was it was kind of great to see, to be honest, to see some real intense action and actually see what a badass Boba Fett truly is. Yeah, absolutely. Because the myth, the legend, and all the things that people think about and talk about for Boba Fett, as you say, was never truly seen on screen too much i don't think and so i think we saw what we've we've always suspected what we've we've learned from 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 other um canon star wars um stories and i'm looking at the mdb page and there's like 71 photos for this episode but the one that just sticks out to me is just boba fett's face with the you know he's he's got the, the helmet off and he's just staring intently he's just ferocious and you know, by the end of this episode, he's saying, you know, I made a deal with you to, uh, you know, make sure the kid's okay. It's not, he's not just, he's not just here and he's like saying, all right, see you later. It's great to make a cameo. It sounds like he's sticking around for at least one more episode, possibly the next two. Um, and, and can we just take a moment just to also say that I was, what was interesting was seeing the assassin, uh, what was her name? Fennec. Uh, because, I'd forgotten all about her. Like so, this this gunslinger episode that she appeared in, in in season one, I was so distracted by the ending with that jangling noise, which, as we suspected, and quite greatly, was Boba Fett, and all of those internet conversations that I hadn't even considered the fact that she might be alive, or that it even mattered that she would show up again. But I thought that was pretty cool because she's a real sharp shooter, and so the three of these guys together going off on this mission to to rescue Baby Yoda, which I'm going to call him that from that one. Thanks. Uh, I thought it was amazing. I think so. It's really cool. I think to actually see. I, I think you're right. Boba Fett, kind of a man of his word, and we actually haven't finished the deal and, and to see it through. I am also excited that the Mandalorian has got a bit of a crew building. Obviously, he's got connections on other planets, um, as we've seen with Cara Dune and um, other various people. But it's actually, I, I really like the idea that he's actually fully going to squad up. And I I 
think he's actually going to have to pull together a real tight knit crew to do this, you know, big, big final mission. Um, before I get into kind of where I think it's heading, I think we also need to acknowledge R.I.P. Razorcrest. I couldn't oh. believe it. If if seeing Slave One was shocking, watching the Empire or what you know what's left of the Empire blow up the Razorcrest, that was unexpected, right? I was I was amazed. I honestly like because that ship has been through hell, and I was now obviously um, Grogu got taken at the end of the episode, and that was sad. But I was generally more more upset about seeing the Razorcrest just blasted the smithereens, and not a single component of it apart from uh, Grogu's favorite toy and the the spear being the over, only salvageable things. And it does make me wonder. And this is probably a bit of a prediction into the the end of the Mandalorian. Is Slave One going to become his new ship? And there, there's only one way that ship's going to become his new ship, Paul, and that's if somebody doesn't make it. There's, there's the, the the conspiracy theorist in you is coming right out because I've I've had these thoughts as well because for this iconic ship to turn up and his to get destroyed in the same episode seems to point in that direction for me very much so. But as you say, Boba Fett's not going to make it. Do you know what? If he doesn't make it doing something really heroic, I would be quite happy with that, given that largely most of us probably didn't expect to see this character, given that he's been gone since 1983. Uh, I think it would be a good way for him to go out because he's always been part of the villain. You know, he's been the bad guy, but actually what he is, as we've seen in this episode, is a man of his word doing what he says he's going to do. And if that's as a bounty hunter, how does that make him any different to Mando? And we've always thought of Mando being a good guy. So, uh, yeah, look, you've... Uh, You've touched on a, a number of great things there. It, it's exciting. I'm I'm sad that I've only got two more episodes to go, oh. and I I um, I just love the show so much, Paul. I love it so much. It's 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 great. It's good. They they know they know what to do. They've done it well. They they let you have an episode each week, and then the week you're supposed to get it is Christmas Day. It's like they've they've got something in place so that. The whole world doesn't. All the Mandalorian fans don't go into like a, a spirit, sort of like a spiral of, oh, what am I going to do now? It's because it's Christmas. Can I also say, uh, a little bit proud of myself for calling this uh, the Dark Troopers. So uh, this was um, Moff Gideon's uh, mechanical troopers that we'd seen at the end of the episode two episodes ago. We didn't know, you know, there was so much speculation were they shadow troopers? Were you know, what were they? Um, but yeah, Dark Troopers was the the name that Gideon gave them. So that's that's going all the way back to stuff from stuff that's not canon. We're going back, you know, Force Unleashed. It was great to see those guys in action. And you know, the four of them came down. They took the they they took Baby Yoda, and the chase is on. I mean, we've seen it so many times in this series, from the very start of Mando having Grogu that they keep trying to take him away. That's always the goal. It's always, and finally we've got to that point. And to be honest, that's what we needed because there's only so many times I could take the ending being a Scooby-Doo. I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids type every time. It's like sooner or later they needed, the bad guy needed a win. I think what's going to be interesting is I don't know if we're going to, if the Mandalorian is going to be able to rescue Grogu by the end of the season because if he does we're literally going to be almost kind of back at square one for season three 
So it actually makes me wonder whether it actually might be a, a whole season focused on trying to get Grogu back. And I, I know you're shaking your head at me right now, but I think I think what we're going to see is uh, the Mandalorian is going to have to squat up. He's going to have Boba Fett. He's going to have Bo-Katan. He's going to have um, ex-woves. He's going to have Cosca uh, uh, Reeves. He's going to have a whole crew together. He might even have... Um, the guy from Kim's Convenience and his X-Wing coming along to help out. But there's going to be a whole squad that's going to go after them. I think it's going to end in a big fight. I think there's going to be some casualties. And I think what we're seeing here is the Mandalorian reaching, like he's, he's got his full armor set. He's, you know, he's definitely fallen in love with the child. I think we're going to have to see him broken to then like, fight back and you know really fight in the next season to get the child back and I think what's interesting is you know as you mentioned before everyone's in love with uh, Grogu but is the Grogu going to accept the light or the dark Uh, you've gone full like what you've done is you've you've described elements of the Dark Knight Rises we're going to have to see the bat broken uh, before the bat can come back even stronger. And I, the reason I was shaking my head was like, actually, not that I disagree, because I think you could be right. I was shaking my head thinking, um, how, how are we as a, as a fan base going to cope with, this, uh, with the child gone, basically, for a whole year? Because once this ends down, we won't have any more Mandalorian until we get to October next year, and that's at the earliest probably. So, uh, well, well, I think that, that goes back to that point of, I think we can't constantly have the Mandalorian on babysitter duty. So it actually could be quite good to have a season where we're kind of getting the child, but we're maybe always kind of like scared for his well-being. But we know that um, his his dad, for lack of a better term, is, is on the hunt for him. Hmm. One last thing before we move on, because surely we, we surely we must move on from, from the Mandalorian. Um did you spot when the, uh, I mean, when the Stormtrooper ship landed, first of all, I wasn't sure who it was who was coming in that ship. Was it was it the Jedi? You know, I had no idea. I, I did think it looked a little bit like the the First Order transport ship that we saw mm. Ray, Ray destroy in The Rise of Skywalker. And so that gave me a hint that it may have been the Empire. But um, did you spot the, uh, the, the Stormtrooper that was loading up the cannon with the, with the yellow on him? I mean... I, I thought that was pretty impressive. Like that had that whole, uh, like we haven't seen the, the, the coloration of the, uh, the yellow, the red and the blue since the clone wars themselves. And so, um, that was, that was pretty neat. I mean, obviously there's a minifigure there to be sold, so that's probably why they've done it, but it was, it was still pretty exciting to see. I thought just a little nod to that. I really enjoy how expendable the stormtroopers are at any, at, at any point. And even just how, kind of stupid they are like you know they're setting up their gun there's a giant boulder rolling towards them but still you know there's not enough time to move i'll just keep blasting and you know it's it's so great i've got one final thing i need to talk about before i can move on paul (laughs) okay i hate it in a tv show when a character puts something down and they don't pick it back up why didn't the mandalorian get his jetpack back it has caused me no end of anxiety even seeing he'd gone to another planet like is the jetpack destroyed does he actually have it but he's just not wearing it why hasn't when he was coming back down the mountain get your jetpack like it's stressing me out 
who's looking after it? Who's got it? Like, I hope he isn't lost it. It's so critical to everything that happens on The Mandalorian. I haven't seen you this excited in a long time, Dan. Um, you're absolutely right. A um, couple of things. My 11-year-old son, who watched it twice with us, uh, picked up on exactly the same thing as you. Like, why hasn't he got the jetpack? Why hasn't he? Why hasn't he picked that up? He, he can't. He can't handle that. Also, he was the same with the stormtroopers. He's like, why aren't they just moving to the side? Why are they running in a straight line? <laughs> it's like, the, no, they're expendable. They're expendable. Um, no, but you're absolutely right with the jetpack. It was. It was. It was needed to progress the story because we couldn't have had Mando getting back up that hill quickly enough to be able to. Uh, stop the dark troopers from from taping, taking Grogu and uh, I guess pursuing them. Uh, but on that note, since we've gone there on the pursuit, when um, Boba was told to disengage, he goes, I'll, I'll, "I'll do a what did he call it? I'll do a light follow or, or something like you know, sort of like." And then his his face when he's like, "Oh, they're back! The Empire's back!" I thought that was just I don't know, just there's something about hearing Boba's voice. And of course, we've got used to that voice as Boba being the the voiceover with the with the special editions that have you know Tim Morrison's done the voice in Empire and, and Return of the Jedi. There's something about hearing that voice back; it's just incredible. And uh, seeing and hearing the fear of thinking that the Empire's back because you know what hasn't been told, and I think I'm absolutely positive will be told, and I can't wait to buy it. Will be the book that will tell some sort of story that is telling the story of, of Boba Fett escaping the, the Salak and what he's what he's endured for the last 25 years. So uh, there's so many angles. There's so much There's so much to talk about. All right. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> I'm getting too excited. I'm too excited. So, Paul, it must be time to talk about the movie of the week. Indeed. Uh, so each week, Dan and I choose a movie and uh, – this week, Dan sent me a couple of choices to choose, and which one did I go with, Dan? Midway. You went with Midway, Midway. So a little synopsis about this movie. So this is historical, so hopefully you already know this. On December 7th, 1941, Japanese forces launched a devastating attack on Pearl Harbor, the U.S. naval base in Hawaii. Six months later, the Battle of Midway commences on the 4th of June, 1942, as the Japanese Navy once again plans a strike against American ships in the Pacific. For the next three days, the U.S. Navy and a squad of brave fighter pilots engage the enemy in one of the most important and decisive battles of World War II. Paul, what did you think? I thought this was really, really good. Um, I wouldn't say it was one of my favorite more war movies of, of all time but that has the the caveat of of saying that there are just so many exceptional and i mean we, we've talked about them on this podcast so many truly exceptional war movies so so when i scale it up it didn't reach those heights but i really enjoyed the story it told as true stories go it's incredible i mean so much bravery the people that that served in this war, the things they did, the things they saw, the loss and the pain and the terror of it. I, I sometimes can't quite believe that it was all so recent, relatively speaking. Um, and so seeing all of that um, was was really, 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 really good. And it was well done. There's some things I want to talk about in terms of how things were done and, and, and directed and so on. But uh, what about yourself? Yeah, look, I talked about this a few weeks ago. Like I'm you know, I know that it's kind of a, a hated movie by many people, Pearl Harbor. And I think, you know, this movie 
you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, for example, is, is 41% on the tomato meter, but it's got an audience score of 92%. I came into it thinking I was probably going to have maybe a bit of a mediocre time. I actually really enjoyed it. I've got a few um, kind of complaints, and I, I, I don't think the story was as cohesive as it could be. Mm. But overall, as far as war movies go, I, I had a great time. Yeah, I, I feel like this movie covered a lot of ground. It, it certainly had a lot of story, and I kind of I both liked that as it gave a nice broad story that kept moving with no lulls. Um, and also I didn't like it because sometimes I felt like I wasn't getting enough detailed story of what was happening in between these sort of set pieces. It felt at times like it was playing out like a series of bullet points in an executive summary of a report. It was like all the main things, but what, what's the bits going on in between? So at the end of the day, though, Dan, there's no pleasing me because if it had included all the detail, I'd be sitting here moaning to you that the movie was too long. So, you know, there's, there's, there's just no winning. But, um, yeah, it just it covered a, a very – long story and sort of like it sort of you had to put piece together the dots so like when the the guy dies and then all of a sudden it cuts to the next thing they're all in their white uniforms so okay so they've come back they're, they've grieved they're now at the funeral and there was just lots of moments where i think other films would have just let you stay in the moment a little longer that was probably my gripe yeah, I think what was interesting about it is because obviously they needed to show obviously the attack on Pearl Harbor, but it's something that's been shown numerous times on both uh, TV and movies. Um, I think it's got quite a a star-studded cast, um, and you're constantly kind of introduced to various characters, and they've got some kind of cliche personalities at times. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it sort of jumps it jumps quite quickly between these different things. And even some of it didn't quite make sense. And I think the, the scene that you were just talking about where they were, um, I guess, at the, the wake or celebrating uh, one of the soldiers who lost their life at Pearl Harbor, it kind of felt to me a little bit weird because hundreds of people lost their lives. Mm. And all of a sudden you've got these 50 people in a bar um, celebrating this one person, yep, that's cool. But like, it didn't kind of contextually all just kind of make sense for me. Um, but I, that aside, I, I still had a good enough time that I think if you've got any interest in particularly war movies or the the World War Two genre, I think it's mm. worth a watch. Oh no, definitely it is. And like I say, I, I just think that the standard of some war movies are, are so high that it's it has to be put in a, in a certain place within that scale but um it's you know, i'm just looking on imdb it scores 6.7 overall it actually scores less than the original so midway the because this is a remake of the 76 mm. movie and that that's scoring at 6.8 that was the version with charlton heston and henry fonda robert wagner and james coburn but uh i, I felt like this movie offered a lot i felt like actually i thought this one had a great cast as well um there was a lot of um, actors I really thought Patrick Wilson, Woody Harrelson in particular, I thought those two were were really good. Aaron Eckhart wasn't in it much, but when he was, I thought he was he was really, really good. But the standout of, of all of them for me was actually Dennis Quaid as uh, as Bull, uh, the old school admiral who had like a he had to take that forced vacation because he had a rash or something much, much worse. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. But when he delivered that line, that's the bravest damn thing I've ever seen. I thought he was just brilliant as that. He really played that rugged role quite well. 
Yeah, I think because um, I think what they did well is they they tried to show uh, a bit more of a not completely, but a, a slightly more balanced sort of perspective of Japan versus America, as opposed to just coming in hard with this is America just kicking ass and taking names. And that I think they tried to sort of balance that out a little bit. I think you're right. I think Dennis Quaid was an awesome character. I even enjoyed Woody Harrelson's character. I enjoyed Luke Evans as Wade McCluskey. Patrick Wilson, as you say, was great. There was one character who I, I just – it took me out of the moment in every single scene, and that was um, Ed um, Sikrin, who, who we recently saw in uh, uh, Alita. Alita, Battle Angel. Mm. And his thick accent that he put on for his character, I couldn't help but think about, you know those characters in, in Big Mouth? Yes. And it's, he sounded like a, a Nick Kroll-type character who was about to start talking about hormones and all sorts of you know other stuff because he was – he was so over the top with his cockiness, so over the top with um, just being the the Top Gun pilot that it almost made it a little bit cringy comical, which is, I, I don't think that's what he was going for, but it, it, it just really came across uh, that way to me. No, he definitely wasn't going for that. And he was just, yeah, you're like he just dialed the volume up just a little too high, didn't he? Um, I, it didn't take me at the moment, but I now that you sort of, now that you say it, it, yeah, it definitely did. Did sort of just go a little bit, a little bit too far. But um, th- there was there was enough in there, as you say. I thought Roland Emmerich, as, as director, did a really fantastic job, particularly those those the the, the airborne scenes, the the flying dogfights, um, some of the some of the scenes with the planes coming in to attack the battleships, and then you could sort of see the fire from the battleship the, the, the sort of the, the the sheer firepower that they were putting out was just absolutely terrifying and i was just looking at it thinking i don't know how a single plane is going to make it through all that barrage because it just it was just looked absolutely insane and just just yeah just terrifying I, i'm with you i you know dive bombing those uh, aircraft carriers that's like balls of steel type stuff because it's just sheer dumb luck that you don't get hit by either an anti-aircraft gun on the ship or by an, an, another plane uh, coming up behind you or all other sorts of chaos going on. And I think um, shout out to uh, Nick Jonas obviously, you know, for his uh, role in there. And you know he got captured um, and he had a, you might remember, he got captured by one of the his – it was in the water. They got captured by the Japanese. Don't I remember? Feel, uh, no, I know the character. I mean, I just feel like I feel like I should know. I know the name Nick Jonas is famous. I should. I feel like I should know why. But old man Paul has no idea why that name is famous. Is he like a pop boy, pop singer or something? Ah, uh, you yeah, like the Jonas Brothers? You know, they're big on the. I don't know. I don't know. They're. I think they came. I look. I don't know from the Disney era. Uh, they're, okay. a pop, they're a pop band. I don't look. I don't know. But I. His character was actually pretty cool, and you know he tells um, some pretty cool stories about how you know he's not afraid of death, and you know his uh, was it his uncle or his dad or someone worked on the Empire State Building, and, and he meets a, a really terrible demise uh, in this movie. Um, but it's always I feel like it's always fun for some reason seeing um, musicians and other sort of celebrities kind of like make these appearances in these types of movies. So now look, I think. As I said before, if you're interested in the in the war genre, I you you've probably already seen it. But if you're we're on the fence and it's on a streaming service, 
I think, get amongst it. Mm, agreed. Uh, I did want to say one last thing because um, I was just reading through some of the trivia. The wreckage of the the, the two ships, um, Akagi and the Kaga, were actually found the month before this film was released. They actually found the wreckage of both of those ships just just prior, which I thought was um, was just crazy. And uh, the, the the last thing I want to mention, this is something Diana actually said to me, and it's very very true, is at the end of the movie, seeing those those names and the real photos and the real people in the movie and sort of that little bit of text around what they did next or what they were awarded or how they were honored. It's always great. Those moments just, you know, to actually to see, to see that sort of real life moment. And that was, that was a great way to to finish the movie. Real good. I agree. I agree. I look forward to your movie choice for next week, Paul. Do it all over again. I look forward to it as well. But for now, Dan, I'd like to hand over to you over in the newsroom. The news, the news, the news. What have I got? Let me just uh, find my notes. So, um, Fear the Walking Dead, a little show that we occasionally talk about on the podcast, has been officially renewed for season seven. That's light applause from me. I'm very excited about that. applause. Great. Um, obviously, we've still got season six. We're halfway through that, which will continue uh, next year. Uh, but great to know that we're getting another season. Um, and, I, you know, to be honest, hopefully several more seasons after that. Agreed. Uh, we have got some, you know, the, on Disney Plus, there's a whole bunch of Marvel TV shows coming out. One of those is Hawkeye. And so Hawkeye is a, who's obviously the the archer in the in the Marvel films, his uh, daughter, I think, is going to be one of the, the stars of that TV show. And that her name is Kate Bishop. And Kate Bishop is going to be played by um, Hayley Steinfeld, which you may remember from Bumblebee, Paul. Correct. Yeah, no, she was she was really good in that Bumblebee movie, eh? Um, I don't think I've seen her anything else from memory, but I remember being really impressed by her in Bumblebee. True Grit. Ah, yes, in that's the one. Yes, the younger when she was much younger. Correct. Thank you. Correct. Correct, as you say. Um, our um, another, you know, famous Star Wars alum. So Poe Dameron to you or Oscar Isaac to um, – I guess his mum is also recently been. <laughs> it's recently just been, or um, I think is it. I'm not sure if it's rumored or in talks to um, play. Uh, uh, he's basically going to star in the in the Metal Gear Solid movies as Snake. So if you've ever played any of those uh, PlayStation games, particularly on the the PlayStation One and Two, um, that is a very fun character, and I think Oscar Isaac will be fantastic in a role like that so really interested to see what they do obviously always a little bit nervous when they try to make the transition from video game to tv show but i think this is one that they should be able to hopefully do safely nice what else have i got the other big piece of news i've got um and you've probably seen this around the traps anyway but hbo has come out and said that they are going to release all of their 2021 movies on HBO Max, and this is causing quite a bit of uh, mixed reviews, I guess, and a a bit of backlash. So I think the way it's going to work is when they release um, movies in the cinema, they're also going to release them at the same time on HBO Max for one month. Mm -hmm. And there's some big movies in this. 
like we're talking about wisdom. I've got a list here of some of them. So Matrix uh, 4. Matrix, Godzilla versus Kong, Mortal Kombat, Suicide Squad, um, using Matrix Four. Like these aren't these aren't tiny movies. These are juniors in there as well. Yep. These are big movies that I think people would like to see in the cinema. I'm really interested in it. Apparently, HBO's seen an increase of about four million subscribers. Um, over the last um, couple of weeks since making this announcement, which I think is pretty interesting. I'm not sure what this is going to mean for us here in little old New Zealand because obviously we don't get HBO Max and our cinemas at this point in time are are largely open, but I'm intrigued to see what this does. I know it's got all sorts of different implications on uh, revenue and what type of additional bonuses and benefits uh, different uh, actors get, but... I'm intrigued. What's your initial thoughts about this one, Paul? I am answering the question from the point of view that we can get it here in New Zealand on a streaming service. I'm extremely excited. This is like a dream come true for me, just the idea of being able to see. And I'll pay cinema prices if it means I can have it at home because I just want to be able to see it. And sometimes, you know, life gets in the way when it's, you know, babysitters and what have you. So I would be really excited about the idea of seeing that. But again, what are we going to do in this country? Because we, we've got Netflix, we've got Neon New Zealand, we've got Amazon Prime, and uh, we've got uh, what else have we got? Damn, there's I feel, oh Disney, Disney Plus. So I, I feel like um, you know it's not going to be on Netflix, it's not going to be on Amazon, it's not going to be on Disney. So how are we going to get? I'd, I, I would love to think that Neon New Zealand, who are owned by the you know the Sky TV brand here in New Zealand, would have the budget to to purchase this, but I don't think they would. So. Uh, um i don't know how it's going to work for us as you say we need to bring those other streaming options in um you know we've talked about it before with hulu we've talked about it with i think we've talked about it with hbo it's um it's exciting news uh but yeah i just need to be able to see it yeah i am i i am pretty proud as well i i know that people are really you know, even some of our fans um, are real pure moviegoers and they, and they like that movie experience and they, they don't want to lose that. But I I personally welcome the chance to watch some of these movies on day one from the comfort of my own home. I, I think that sounds fantastic. I don't know. I don't really see the argument myself. Maybe I'm missing something, but I don't see the argument that you you don't get that movie experience if, if it still has the option to go watch it at the cinema. I feel like if it's going to be released at the cinema and and on a streaming platform then we would have the option to do both i guess it depends on what the obviously the oh okay i'm putting two and two together myself now and answering my own question just like you did earlier obviously the situation in america is a little different um okay look i don't care i I want to watch it it probably comes down a little bit to sort of artistic integrity as well because you know was it kind of like designed to be really consumed in a in a true um movie going theater with high quality sound and high quality picture but look i not to be too nonchalant about these things but i i'm still happy to watch it on my own my own tv my own sound system if it gives me that I, 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 the idea of being able to watch some of these movies early on from my own home just feels so great and i think at the moment as long as there's options for both i'm on board no, I, I 100% agree. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And that, my friend, is the news for me. Awesome. I 
yeah, I had that news as well. So that was what I was going to talk about. The other, the other couple of things I had was uh, just some trailers that were, were released. Uh, so Netflix released the Transformers Earthrise uh, full trailer. We had the teaser uh, recently, and now we've had the, the full trailer. I won't talk about that because there's a lot of things in there which some people may consider spoilers. For me, it didn't really doesn't bother me what I say. I'm just excited about it. We've got that coming out on December the 30th. And this week we also had uh, the the trailer released for Clarice, um, the new CBS television series um, that takes place after the Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I haven't done any reading around this to know, but I presume it doesn't include the subsequent movie Hannibal. Um, you know, otherwise, I think they probably would have said that in the trailer. But yeah. I love that whole universe. There's been a, lo- a lot of negative reaction to it online, which I think is unfair. So, like, if you go to the, the sort of like the, the Twitter of um, the, the Clarice trailer, um, that account has so far just tweeted out the trailer, and they've already had a whole bunch of replies. Most of them have been, "This isn't Hannibal season four. This better be good. This better be." In fact, interestingly enough, Half Measures podcast was the very first uh, Twitter account to reply to Clarice. So. Um, how about that? But yeah, I'm excited about that. I love that universe. Um, so there's that. There's Transformers. The other thing that caught my eye just quickly was um, For All Mankind has had season three of that series renewed. Now, this is a show I haven't watched a single episode of because it's on Apple TV and I don't currently have a subscription for that. But it's one of those shows that if it gets quite a few seasons under its belt, then I might jump in because I've been burnt too many times. Most recently, I'm thinking of um, Away, you know. There's been all the, all these series that you sort of think, oh, yeah, that's for me, and then it gets cancelled. It really triggers me. So, uh, But, yeah, that is all I have this week, Dan. Very good. Very good. So on to the mailbag. Mailbag indeed. So here we go. So it was it was actually really nice this week to have, as I said at the start of the, the podcast, um, people supporting us and wishing us well for our first year of podcasting this week. We had uh, all kinds of support messages. Uh, what do we have here? We had Starscream, uh, Frank Todaro himself, uh, Bruce Gray, uh, the, the the person who was the first person to ever get in contact with us. That's how we always remember that guy. I also really enjoy his football tweets, by the way. Uh, Darwin Hannon. Uh, from Chicago, Illinois, uh, Crystal Levero from Portland, Oregon. Uh, back here in New Zealand, we also had support from Ash Gardner from the Mighty Manoa 2, uh, from Bob Morris in the Hawks Bay, uh, from Freckled Pretzel in the in the Wide Rapper, who's also a valued member of our Discord community. Uh, also messages, what else have we got here? From Oh, from Neon New Zealand. Um, our favorite streaming platform here in New Zealand we just talked about. Uh, back overseas, we also had from Squadcast FM, the website that we use to record our podcast, Trisha from Time Traveling Team Podcast, and Paddy also from Time Team, uh, Earl Green from Retrogram Podcast and TheLogbook.com, from John Champion from Mission Log, and finally uh, Norman Lau, also from Mission Log, who even decided to honor us with a GIF of his all-time favorite moldy hacker so um anyway thank you to everyone who helped us to celebrate our one year anniversary online it's a shame that you couldn't share the cake that dan and i had but um i feel like we have a oh you didn't hear about the cake oh sorry yeah i feel like we've got a good little half measures community going on out there dan 
That's awesome. It's um, it's so great. You know, some of those names, particularly like Darwin and Bruce Gray, and who have been who have been there since the start of the mailbag. Mm. And I feel like you know, maybe in twenty twenty one, we can think about some way to kind of create like the I'm just spitballing here. First pancake. You know, this is the the, the Bruce Gray Memorial movie <laughs> of the something or the you know <laughs> isn't the memorial where someone's passed away <laughs> oh, oh, look it's the first pancake we need to keep working on this but i feel like it'd be a great way to kind of like honor some of these uh these people that have been with us since the start indeed 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 okay uh and so yes yeah, so as i said thanks to everyone and a personal thank you from dan and i to our better halves uh who also listen to our podcast because well why wouldn't they want to hear more about what the men in their lives have to say? So, uh, yeah, so thank you to Diana and Samara. Um, also, uh, there was more course for celebration this week, Dan. Um, so Spotify released their 2020 wrapped year in review reports. And whilst I don't subscribe to Spotify myself, I understand this is kind of like an annual report that goes out to each subscriber, letting them know what their, their what genres of music they've listened to or what artists or groups. And also, what podcasts and so we've had a few listeners get in touch with us and they actually some of them sent through screenshots which was nice um showing that we appear on their list so we had um we had mark foal uh from from rayleigh in alec in, in essex sorry uh, he sent us a screenshot of his top three podcasts um we we featured alongside that peter uh, that peter crouch podcast and the gary neville podcast we we're also most listened to uh, from one of our earliest listeners uh, freckled pretzel who we mentioned before we we're also in the top podcast for uh, raf tolentino from wellington here in new zealand although we are still behind uh, locked on fantasy basketball podcast on his list so we've got a bit of work to, to make up there but yeah so thanks anyway to everyone who let us know that we made it on their spotify awards if anyone else uh, has has us on their list do let us know that's great um what else have i got here? oh so we had comments come through for our mandalorian review last week um so this was the ahsoka episode uh paddy from time team he loved it as well he thought it had a great samurai feel to it that, uh, i think he, you know thought you would appreciate dan uh, given the the types of movies you and he both uh, enjoy uh, also uh, on the Mandalorian Review, as you know, Dan, our podcast always aims to be educational. And this week, Michael from Palmerston North, uh, he was quite impressed by our Star Wars knowledge. He'd never heard of Yaddle before. And so I think you mentioning her as being another of Yoda's uh, species uh, was a, a, an eye-opener uh, for someone who's been a fan since A New Hope back in 1977. Uh, another Michael, this time this is Michael from North Carolina, a uh, guy who owns more vinyl records than New Zealand has sheep, I think. Anyway, he's uh, got in touch to let us know he's been watching Queen's Gambit on Netflix. And he says he gives this a full four out of four guns akimbo. So um, he's used the correct scale there, which is good. I do feel like I want to see this before the year is out, especially if we are going to start handing out our awards for you know top TV shows for 2020. So, uh, so yeah, thanks, uh, Michael, for prompting us to bump this up our lists. Awesome. So, it, oh, you've got one more. I, I was just, oh, I was just it never ends. I know. It's so much in there. I'm just, I make a quick note so that I don't forget because I do like it when people get in touch. What else have I got? Uh, so the review of The Good Liar that we did last week, that got some love on social media, including from Neon New Zealand, who said that they love the cast in that movie. And finally, um, Alexa Mansour, who plays Hope, and Annette Mahendru, who plays Huck, uh, the two characters from The Walking Dead 
will be on. They both liked our review of the season finale that we posted on Twitter this week. So thank you, Hope, and thank you, Huck. Thank you, Huck, for betraying the whole gang. We look forward to seeing what happens in season two. And so, yeah, so if you want to be in the mailbag next week, do get in touch either by joining our Discord community, uh, by clicking the link in the notes on your podcast app, or by commenting on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Half Measures Pod. And that is the mailbag then. Amazing, amazing work, Paul. That's quite the haul of letters and paperwork and feedback from everyone. Definitely keep it up. That's what I get paid for. You're getting paid? All right. So it must be time for some peak performances. So last week uh, we managed to skip peak performances, so I've really broken the whole system and the structure of the podcast. Uh, But each week, Normally, Paul and I take turns choosing uh, an actor or an actress or a director or a producer or someone in the the film or TV industry, and we discuss what we think are their their top performances or movies or whatever it may be. And so uh, this week, it was actually my choice, and I went with Michael um, Bain. Did we decide? Is that how we were going to say it? Fine. Fine. Mine. B-I-E-H-N. I don't know. You make your own mind up. Let's just call him Michael right. for now. We've got enough Michaels Michael. on this show. Michael Wine. All right. So um, another um, long-time listener of the show, um, Paddy from Time Travelling Temp, has um, – Temp, Temp, Temp. I'm butchering it. I'm butchering it. Um, you know, he's um, he's coined the term the 321 of our uh, – you know to really hope us help us sort of narrow down what our top three picks are Mm. i'm picking that paul and i might be largely largely in sync this week maybe by one or two but the reason um i went with michael biner's seeing him in chapter 13 of the mandalorian um just reminded me of what a fantastic actor uh, michael is and i thought what a great time to celebrate some of the performances across his career Great choice, Dan. I love a bit of a, an odd ball throwing, and I, I mean that with the nicest, uh, you know, with all due respect. Uh, can I just start by quickly going right off course? And I know that we shouldn't do that, but did you know that there was an Alien 3 TV series and that Michael Bine appeared in this as Corporal Hicks? And they it was only made last year. I, I, how's this stayed off of my radar? This is uh, him and Lance Henriksen. So, you know, these are two big actors because, you know, Lance Henriksen plays Bishop in it. So we've got Bishop and and hicks in this uh 2019 alien three on board the Sulaco, uh, uh the cryogenically frozen skeleton crew of the film survivors ripley hicks newt and bishop and we travel along and uh and find out that our heroes are not alone i'm i don't know how this went under the radar for me but um i, I guess i started by mentioning him be, with that because that's that's my third place choice uh for for michael is his his role as corporate Corporal Hicks in the 1986 movie Aliens. Um, I love that franchise, as, as you well know. His character was was one of the top characters in that movie. Um, the movie that will always be the the game over man, game over man. You know that that great line. So yeah, third place for me, Corporal Hicks from Aliens. Second place um, is Planet Terror. Uh, so this is we talked about Robert Rodriguez from the Man Who Learned. This is uh, one of Rodriguez's uh, movies that he made in the the double feature with Quentin Tarantino, the Grindhouse 
2007 double feature and yeah michael bine plays the the sheriff in this in this crazy movie and i remember at the time seeing this and thinking oh I haven't seen him since Alien. So I, I this is how infrequently I think I've seen him. Although looking through his list, there are other movies he's been in. I just obviously have, 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 have failed to remember that. But the winner for me, and I'll be interested to see if it is for you, Dan, is uh, his performance as Kyle Reese uh, in the, the the very first original Terminator movie from 1984. Um, every time I watch that movie, I'm always amazed at how much of it has aged so well and how much of it has aged so badly when it comes to the, some of those prosthetics and you know special effects with with Arnold Schwarzenegger but um but Carl Reese I thought it was a, a great performance he's the hero he's the one who's who really you know keeps us true and uh, and focused on protecting um Sarah Connor and his relationship with Linda Hamilton's uh, Sarah I thought was fantastic so yeah Carl Reese is my my peak performance, Dan. What about you? Well, we're very close with uh, two out of three of those in sync, so this will be pretty quick for me. So number three, I'm on board with you for Aliens. Um, such a such a, a great movie. We talked about it way too much. Uh, it's, it's top tier. Number two for me is actually Terminator, uh, and I'm with you. I think Kyle Reese is such a an awesome character from the first movie and you're right it's a movie that it it doesn't quite stand the test of time like Terminator 2 does but still a a great great movie um, for something that was made in, in 1984 but my number one and this is a movie that I've talked about several times before would be um Michael's role as Johnny Ringo in Tombstone and I know Paul you haven't um, seen Tombstone yet, but as soon as it comes available on a streaming platform, it's going to be my movie of the week, and we're going to watch it, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about how great the holiday is, and we're going to have a hell of a good time. I think you've forgotten how movie of the week works. The idea is you send me two movies and I pick one, so there's no guarantee I'm going to pick it right. <laughs> every week, I every week I search just to make sure is it on there yet? Is it on there? And when it comes through, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you Tombstone twice. That's how it's going to work. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hardball. So like yeah, it. look, he's um he plays one of the the key bad guys in Tombstone, and it's just fantastic. It, it's such a great movie. I think he does a great job as uh, Johnny Ringo, and for me, I just can't look past it as a as a number one movie and number one choice for Michael. Great work, Dan. Great choice. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing Tombstone because I do love a good western, and I've heard so much great stuff about it. So, uh, so yeah, that's I guess is pretty much us for this week look at us we've done an hour and a half this week after last week you only got an hour this week you get a 50 percent extra and it hasn't cost you any more that that patreon account is almost paid for itself right uh so we will see you in a week's time i just want to finish off by saying once again thanks to uh, mission log podcast and the roddenberry podcast network for sponsoring this episode and if you'd like to sponsor one let us know at halfmeasurespodcast.com. Also, a special shout out to Trisha Brady and Samara King for being our Patreon producers of the show. If you too would like to become a Patreon, then you can find the details for that in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, stay safe and adios.